The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. It's like it's like you're doing a bad impression of you know Ricky Ricard or something. I don't even know what it is. All right, we're gonna, you know what? we're not going to edit that out. We're just going to start with you doing these bad accents to start the show. Cartoons? Did you watch? Cartoons? I love cartoons. I worked in Nickelodeon for years. Keep your eye on the ball, eyeball. Who was that? Uh, it sounds like Yosemite Sam, I think, but I can't tell it your accent. Wasn't it? It was the turkey or uh, whatever. Uh, the chicken. Foghorn Leghorn? Yeah, Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, that from Bugs Bunny. Yeah, I, I was, I really loved Woody Woodpecker. Uh, he was, he was just, he was like the biggest ball buster in the world, you know? How about the, uh, who's Speedy Gonzalez? Speedy Gonzalez? Sure. Yeah. Uh, but with Woody Woodpecker, it was really, it was a, no, it was a fox or uh, wasn't there a spe- Speedy? Speedy Gonzalez was a, was a little mouse. There was the Roadrunner. Roadrunner. The, that's right. And apparently Roadrunners aren't really that fast. Hey, you go can watch all those cartoons back then. They're a little bit like, like there's some... What, racist? Kind of, yeah. Flat out racist? Yeah, but it also a little bit of sexual content. Absolutely. You know? And they got away with a lot of that. And, and Bugs Bunny had some episodes they pulled that are just flat out racist, like toward reflecting the times towards the Japanese in World War II. And oh, at this, some, you know, some towards towards black uh, folks that are just really bad. But is, isn't those were like kids' cartoons back then? Look, look at where we're at now Ooh. where... Can't say anything. No, but it, it's well. There's one thing about doing jokes, but there's another thing about just being outright racist, you know. But like a, a great cartoon that I loved, and my kids still watch this day is Tom and Jerry. Time okay. okay. and maybe because it was, wasn't much dialogue. Right. But how, uh, how about the Flintstones? Flintstones were great. Yeah. Flintstones are, are absolutely great. It was like a cartoon, but remember the Yobelish is good too. It was, but you're going off the track now because we were talking about cartoons. But that's fine. We talk about TV shows. You you got these cartoons in Canada growing up? Oh yeah. Because I think you didn't have a shower. You had a TV. Yeah, we had a TV. Two channels on it. Yeah, uh, two channels, yeah. CBC and uh, yeah, black and white. I remember first got the color TV, first got the clicker. <laughs> You're right. right. That was, wait, you you didn't get the American channels? No, where we were. No, just uh, we just had to use the uh, up on the roof, the antenna on the roof. Oh, right. oh, okay. So you got the CBC and, and so so that's why all you guys watch hockey night in Canada. Oh, there's nothing oh, else on. Yeah. Do you know why? Do you know why uh, sex um, from behind is a big thing? Okay, this is definitely getting cut out. Uh, why? So both people. So both people can watch Hockey Night in Canada. Okay. Maybe we'll keep that one in. Yeah. I bet. Not bad. We kept it fairly punchy. No, that's that's a decent joke. We're talking about cartoons and you go right to that, but that's that's fine. Yep. Every Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, it was just everybody. That was uh, just got it down. Really gathering. Like mom watched that too. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, it was it was just a, it was a thing. It was just part, part of what the family did. All and it wasn't always Canadian teams, right? It was it was only six teams at right. the time. So it was you'd see the Rangers. Typically though, for us it would be the Toronto or wherever Toronto was. 
not not you know, obviously playoff time is different, but typically that's so they would schedule the Leafs and Canadians, I guess, to play at yeah. eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Yeah, and then again, sometimes they're on the road, the Leafs, but it's typically it's the Leafs for us. You know, people obviously the Montreal, and it, it, that's funny. Like even like a guy like Larry Melnick, depending where you were in the country, you would get to watch either Montreal games, like the other parts, like the West. You get to watch Montreal games or Toronto games. Therefore, you became okay. a Montreal fan. So, how do you become a Ranger fan? You just don't. Uh, yeah, you did. Uh, but you know, I mean, so you know, obviously, you watch the Rangers play. So, if you, you like that team, um, and people ask me so many times, I, I just really wasn't a Toronto fan. I don't know why. It wasn't like I hated the Toronto. It, 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 it's so weird because everyone talks about how the Canadians won all those cups and the Maple Leafs won a bunch up until '67. But the system was so rigged. Yeah, because like Canadians were taking all the players from from Quebec, yeah. right? The, Toronto had most of Ontario. I, I know the Bruins had like a small slice of right. Southern Ontario, yeah. right? I don't even know where the Rangers pulled from the the areas. Like, I, yeah, I think it's Western Canada someplace. So they're back in like the system now. Obviously, there's a draft for sure. everybody out there. Uh, so you, it doesn't matter where you're from; you can pick a player from anywhere in the world. But we're back then. Yeah, they had little territories where those players fly. They came in and they, I think they paid five thousand dollars to the family to get them to sign the card. That's yeah. so crazy though. Like, so the Rangers were stuck without a draft. They were just like every great French player, and there were a lot of them right. just went to the Canadians. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, and Rangers, Rangers did have an opportunity to sign what a sixteen-year-old Gordie Howe, and they did didn't. They? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh. and they they, ha- they did sign his brother, right. but they didn't get they they missed out on obviously Gordie, Mister Hawking. So that was that was a rough one. Yeah, I never really thought about that. The difference in the system there, why yeah, it's always possible. Totally rigged. Yeah, like a team like Chicago, where they get their players from. Yeah, but then they got Bobby Orr, or maybe Bobby Hall and Stan Mikita. So maybe they made trades. Well, yeah, well, they definitely made trades, yeah. but like Bobby, so the Bruins had Niagara Falls, they had that whole region. Yeah. So that's why they got Derek Sampson, Bobby Orr, yeah. uh, even Bernie Toronto. What's Bobby Orr's hometown? For that for, is he Flint? Well, no, Parry Sound. Parry Sound. I, nice. And I, I knew that because I wrote I wrote a book report about Bobby Orr, and I think Bobby Orr, sorry about I'm in my third grade. Did you call him? I'm Corb. It's the that. Bobby Orr. It's, so you got me, you made that joke, and I'm throat. And I did a book report about Bobby Orr in third grade. I think I did. Bobby Clark was from Flin Flon. Yes, that was fourth grade book report. And I know sixth grade was the whole the whole league. Um, I'll have to bring that up one day. We'll, we'll go over that. Because okay. that was when you were playing. It was probably like 83 or so. Oh, okay. Well, we'll bring that one in. I'll show you. I got an A on it. So I'm very proud of it. Book report. Man, I was a terrible student. Yeah, I, was, I was actually fairly smart when I was a kid. It's just everything became hockey. No, I, I said fairly smart. Okay. But everything's relative. Yeah. Because you see, I actually, when I, yeah, I was on Survivor. That they did all the psychological testing, and when they got back here, they wanted me to do more because they found out about all the concussions down there. Maybe they feel like I was an idiot when I was up in L.A. Uh, and so they had this guy test me. I do an old psychological yeah. test, and he calls me back up. And he says, Man, you're a smart guy. I go, Step a lot. He says, no, you are. The, the way you tested, you're a smart guy. Do you think they say that to everybody, though? Well, he didn't have any need to. I mean, yeah, yeah he was separate from Survivor. He was just a local doctor okay. doing this. So he had a check on you. Yeah, so no effects, uh, no, you, your brain still worked, sort of. I remember I couldn't wait to go tell my sons. Doc, doctor told me I was intelligent. The part the part of your brain that, that does accents is definitely damaged, as we learned in the last few I just haven't used it lately, so it's, it's just got to get warmed up. That wasn't bad. It was almost Scottish. They said, you used it? Or you could do it. I could do it. Canadian. That's pretty good, eh? You do a Canadian one pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think my kids probably do the only Tom Laidlaw impression of anyone on the planet. we got to get them. I will definitely get them on the do. Molly, Mostly your daughter, your daughter Molly does the best she does. Yeah, yeah, she does all the time. Fantastic show, get <laughs> out Now you don't, you haven't heard the show because you don't listen only the one that you're on. But at, at the end of every show, you say, "All right, grasshoppers, we had a fantastic show." Yeah, Stop doing it as much now because I think you brought it up a more aware, conscious. Yeah, yeah. But we just run that clip at the end of every episode. We, we definitely will. 
folks listening, we, we tape these shows, we kind of tape them consecutively, and then uh, we do our stuff, Tom and I, and there are a lot of bloopers. Not so many bloopers in the interview. You're, you, I will say you're a good interview. You, Thank you. you do a very good job with the guests. Thank you. Um, you get help sometimes from me when I chime in, and, yeah. and but we, uh, there's a lot of bloopers in this section, the, the beginnings of the show. Oh, at the end, lots of bloopers. Yeah, total goofballs, which is fine. But we, but I did like cartoons. To answer your early question, I loved cartoons. Saturday mornings was the greatest thing in the world. And you had to wait every till the fall to see what the new cartoons would be. I, I always loved the Super Friends when they were on. I liked Scooby Doo. Those were great too. Superman. We brought Superman too. So the show. Well, there's a Superman show, but there's also the cartoon. I, I I was more of like the Justice League than the Super Friends, like that era. Oh, okay. Maybe you're a little older. Maybe you had like a cartoon. I know you had. I would see the. Was it George Reeves? Was he the Superman? On? Yes, he was. So we'd watch those reruns, and it was so badly done, but I loved it. Yeah, totally. You get the slick back hair. Like yeah, yeah. It's kind of a little bit chubby. Another one that my all-time favorite was was Adam West Batman. I love oh. Batman, and that was the greatest show. I'm going to tell a quick story. So one time I was in Atlanta um, with the girl I was dating in college, and and I saw a sign at Target. It said, appearing Friday night, Yvonne Craig, TV's Batgirl. Oh. So I said, we have, to, we have to go. And I said, we have to get there early. So, so we go. Did you reach your girlfriend? Yes. So we're in, uh, we go into Target looking for the crowds, right? With the Batgirl, right? This is probably in 1996. So I'm like, where are the crowds? I go back. We find, there's this little table in women's pants. And it's Yvonne Craig sitting there by herself. There's three people online. One person in a wheelchair, two other people. Oh. And I'm like, this poor lady. So I was very starched. I got the autograph left. So the girlfriend had the time. She was like, please stay and talk to me. So it was so bad. Nobody was recognizing this genius who has who has long who's passed, unfortunately. But I love that show. I was a big fan. But then to take that full circle, did you do any appearances where like nobody was there or nobody came? Oh, well, I'm sure I've had. We actually, I was with a group of people from here in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, and they wanted to put on kind of a sports show. It was going to be up in Boston. We we're going to get the Boston Bruins to come in, uh, and we we just looking back, it didn't do a very good job promoting it at all. Right. So we I've got probably 15 or 10 or 15 former boss was that big name guy wow. and nobody showed up no one showed up. well i should say nobody there's some people there yeah but i mean yeah i was kind of the conduit between you know so the guy the boss guys are looking at me and like so you were oh because you're here yeah oh sure who, who are some of the guys oh johnny Busick was there wow legends all yeah. the big name guys. 500 goals in the NHL. yeah who else so, everybody else a long time ago we get old posters we had made up and everything and it's like so embarrassing now they they said they're going to pay these guys, so they still went ahead and paid it. So they they were happy they got paid. But as far as you were the organizer, well, no, they this other group here in Greenwich is more the organizer. Okay, so it was the connection. You knew the guys, yeah. right? So you got all these guys to come down from Boston. Well, no, we actually did it in Boston. That was a good thing. Oh, they didn't have to travel, but it, it, it made it worse though because in Boston nobody showed up hard for because no one knew about it. Yeah, we did a terrible job. So they're, they're all of you like Tommy. What are you doing? Yeah, I was going to play golf today. I'm trying to think about. There's got to be a time nobody showed up for my stuff. There's got to be. But usually when we do things, it's with a whole group of guys. So sure. everybody's coming to see you. Well, what about like some of the, the clinics you guys, well, there's always this built-in kids there because yeah. they're there. Always kids. But the kids are funny. Yeah. Because we talked about this before. They can, they really don't know whether I'm Mark Bessier or Tom Laidlaw. Right. In fact, I do get sometimes people, the running joke is it's Brian Mullen, myself, and Adam Graves all get confused all the time. And you kind of get to know, the person will come up to you and I can tell they're way too excited. Like they, right. They, they, but they don't know what for. Yeah, like the, I, we told we had the thing where we got on the ice painting after the season. I right. went on with ice hockey in Harlem, Harlem, actually. And this young guy and his girlfriend came up to me, and he's all excited. He's getting a bunch of pictures taken, and he finally, I could tell, he doesn't. He thinks I'm somebody else. Yeah. So he goes to the girlfriend, and he says, uh, 
Uh, Sweetie, can you get a picture of Mark and I together? I thought I was Mark Messier. Oh, nice. So now this is the awkward moment. How'd you sign it though? Uh, I did Mark Messier. Uh, well, I, there was no signing yet. I was just getting oh, pictures. Okay, gotcha. So now this is the awkward part because now I have to tell them about Mark Messier. Right. And I, I know what's going to happen. I'm fine. It happens all yeah. the time, but it's more, they're going to be embarrassed. He's going to feel mortified. Right. So I said, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm not Mark Messier. I thought like, and they're devastated. I still, I, and I know in advance, I said, don't worry, it's fine. It's okay. But yeah. still, they're like red faced the whole bit. Because he, you can tell, you really after a while you get to tell, because they're way too excited. If it if it's me or Brian Mullen, someone on the same level, so they're excited to meet us or whatever. But if it, they think it's Mark Messier or Adam Graves, then you're way too excited, and you can just tell. You can say, and you'll stop sometimes to get, who do you think I am? And then they, now they're kind of like, like you know, a bit of a panic. Well, lip, well, you're you're Adam Graves, aren't you? Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, but I'm not. I'm Tom Laidlaw. They they quickly scroll on their phone to look you up yeah, oh that happens yes oh that's you okay that's you there, there's been times too where uh we'll go to an event that they know that adam graves is going to be there it, for some reason it's more adam graves with me i'll get there early and the dad will be you know i can see off in the distance he's got his son or daughter there the family and he's pointing going, yeah, yeah i guess that's adam graves and, and yeah and well it was, I can't. so all of a sudden adam graves will show up and then they'll look over at me again they go oh, it's just late law you know like they're disgusted that it's not the friends, well, you know, it's all white people look the same, so they're that part of it. The big bald heads, you know. I never, I don't obviously, I wasn't on the radio, so I wasn't famous, but I had two incidents like that where that were kind of funny. So, once I was at a diner about 1999 with my friend Steve Burns, who people listen that was the Blues Clues House, very, very popular, especially at that time, especially with families. So, we're at the diner, and this, this woman is banging on the window with a kid, banging and pointing. And I'm like, oh, great, another one's going to see Steve. You know, I've seen people will, will be at a, out somewhere and so he'll be urinating and someone will call up next to him, can I get an autograph? So I'm like, here comes another one. The lady comes in and she's like, oh my God, you're Steve. And she points at me and she goes, I thought he was one of the Backstreet Boys. I had the frosted tips like, oh, they're right. So that was one. And then the second time this guy got me at a, at a diner in the city, I was, I was coming out. And he's like, I know you, you're that actor. I'm like, I'm not. He's like, no, I know you. I know. I see you in the show. You're awesome. I'm like, it's not me. He's like, it's you, you're lying, you're playing it cool. I know you're that actor. And it's like, I love your work. And I just went, thank you. <laughs> That's what we're doing. So, I get, so who do I get? I get uh, Terry Bradshaw once in a while. Oh yeah, I can yeah. see that. I could totally see that. Uh, sometimes The Rock. I was in The White Rock. Definitely The White, The Pink the Rock. The Pink Rock, yes. Yeah, we're in uh, we're in Fiji. So leaving Fiji after Survivor. So you're nice and tan then probably too, yep, right? Yeah, and there's this woman, a cashier working in the restaurant. To, totally thought I was The Rock. And I couldn't do anything to see that I wasn't supposed to. I guess she was in love with the rock. Like, so did you do the eyebrow or the people's eyebrow? I, did, I, did. Uh, I should do that too, the people's eyebrow, yeah. If you smell what Laidlaw's cooking. And you smell what the rock is cooking. No, he's not, that's not, that's Popeye. That's not the rock. No, no, that was totally the rock. <laughs> people, people probably uh, that aren't watching the show are probably saying, they got the rock on. <laughs> that, that, you smell what the rock is cooking. That's how he did it. Even if you smell. No, 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 no. Can't, can't you smell what the rock is cooking? Listen, that's it. To a T. Seriously. People get you thinking that we had the rock on the show. Do you think that you're actually the rock? It doesn't matter what you think. You smell what Kenny Albert is cooking. Cooking up a book and a great career is what he's cooking up. People are going to love this episode. You know what people are going to think? Seriously, that that was the rock. Was that right? They're going to think we had the rock on the show. I don't think so. Dwayne Johnson from Bethlehem, PA, if you're listening. You smell what Kenny Albert is cooking. Bring some vodka and bring some of your that vodka. You know. Wow, Tom's, you look like Popeye. <laughs> I got to get the video of this. So Tom is doing Teddy Albert. And he, there you go. Eat your spinach. Were you a Popeye fan? Yes, I was a Popeye. Popeye's a great cartoon. Uh, Shot to the finish, guys. I eat my spinach. Not Popeye the sailor. Not bad. And you squint that eye, you start to look like him a little bit. Get a pipe and you could be, be Popeye. You got the forearms. 
Oh, come on. Look, this guy is so in love with himself. Self-love, everybody. Enjoy Kenny Albert. Have a wonderful day. Good morning, Tom. Morning, talk. How are you? With a special show today because we have on a legendary voice, but also more importantly, we have an NYU alum like myself. We have a guy who covers everything. We have the great Kenny Albert. Mr. Albert, how are you doing there, sir? Great to be here with you guys. And uh, this little known fact you're probably not aware of, but I didn't score many goals during my club hockey career in college, but I did score the first goal in NYU club hockey history back in 1986. Like I said, legend. Nice. I had to to throw that out there. Didn't score many others after that. (laughs) Did you play the entire time in your college? I did. So I played growing up and played in high school out on Long Island, and I thought my hockey career was over at that point, aside from adult hockey games or pickup games at Sky Rink in Manhattan. My freshman year, December of 86, was our first game, but in September that year, I'm walking through one of the buildings to class and I see a flyer on the wall uh, that another student by the name of Matt Nafis was thinking about starting a club hockey team. So I went to the first meeting and signed up and it was great. So for four years, we played a lot of games at Sky Rink and Bayonne, New Jersey became our home rink at one point, I think in year two or three. And we would travel by van all around the New York metropolitan area. It was a lot of fun. Great guys and still keep in touch with some of them. In fact, Tom, you know Todd Levy, who founded the Ice Hockey in Harlem program. Sure. He was one of my teammates. That's where we first met. Oh, we, wow. we played hockey together at NYU. For my buddy Adam Davis, who we spoke to, helps us with the podcast. He also was on that team as well. So I mean, I've been there. They, they, they've moved up a couple of notches since then, and they won a national championship at, at their level about 10 or 12 years ago. So it was fun to be a part of the uh, process right at the start. And the fact that you remember Matt Nufus, is it Matt Nufus? Matt Nafis. Yep. Like, how do you remember? I can't remember people I met last week and you met this guy. He, uh, he went into the military and his wife is actually, a, she was a reporter uh, for the Bergen Record for many, many years. So I, I followed her work on social media, but it was all thanks to Matt. He was the one that came up with the idea and then actually coached us for a couple of years as well. All right. So just so people don't know, if you've never met Kenny Albert before, we just did a show with uh, Sam Rose and I put you and Sam in the same category, both total professionals, fantastic at your careers. But the most important thing about you guys is you're the nicest people on the planet too. Like if you meet uh, you and Sam, it's almost like, you, I don't know, I expect you to be like you. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And uh, Kenny is not. So people that haven't met Kenny before, uh, I want to get you, like we should time it. If you want to go up and say hello to Kenny sometime at the garden, see him someplace, uh, very approachable, real normal human being, which is... Uh, it's very nice these days. All right, but I appreciate the other the other kind of work. Ted, Kenny, one more NYU question. Do you have the puck from the first goal? Did they give it to you? I don't have the puck. I have some of the old jerseys and photos, and I, I keep just about everything, but I don't I don't think I have that puck. It wasn't it was just a regular black puck. It didn't have any fancy logo on it. So Lost even if it's I'm not sure which puck it would be. So you where did you grow up then? Long Island? Grew up in Long Island, so lived in Manhattan my first four and a half years. Born in 1968. We moved to uh, Woodmere, Long Island when I was two and a half. Went to kindergarten there. Then we moved to uh, the North Shore, Sands Point, Port Washington. So that's where I spent all of my years in school through high school. Uh, Shriver High School in Port Washington. Uh, Great train line. The LARR went right to the garden. Stopped at Chase Stadium. So it was easy to get to sporting events. 
uh, NYU. And then my first five years professionally uh, were down in Maryland and the D.C. area. So for five years, I lived away from uh, the New York area. Uh, first job, American Hockey League called the Baltimore Skipjacks on radio. Right. They were the Washington Capitals affiliate. Unbelievable experience. Uh, my road roommate for two years was our assistant coach at the time, Barry Trout, who's gone on to uh, do great things in the NHL. But we actually roomed together to save money. They had the radio guy and the assistant coach. Jared. Wow. Uh, Did you, you know that? Well, we did a show with Kennedy before, and he mentioned this stuff, too. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Washington Capitals games for three years and then uh, moved back to New York and started with MSG Network and the Rangers on the radio side in 95. So this is season 28 coming up and started with Fox in 94, uh, working NFL and, and eventually baseball and some other sports. But uh, grew up on Long Island, lived in Maryland, D.C. for five years, uh, back in the city from 95 through 99. And I've been in northern New Jersey ever since. Shout out Bergen County. So, Ken, Ken, what did your dad do for work? Uh, well, my grandfather owned a grocery store. So right? oh. my father and my uncles, Al and Steve, who also became play-by-play broadcasters, um, their, grand, their father, my grandfather, owned a grocery store in Brooklyn. And they grew up in Brooklyn and uh, obviously all became play-by-play announcers. And I received a tape recorder for my birthday from my parents when I was five years old. And, and I set up my bedroom like a studio, uh, had the microphone kind of looks like what, what Tom has in front of him now. And I had my desk and the bed in the middle and the TV on the other side. And I would call games from the age of five, six, you know, all the way up until through my high school years off the television practice into the tape recorder. When I was old enough, I would bring it to games at MSG. And I was so lucky to be able to sit in the broadcast booth or near the broadcast booth and watch Tom play and, Dave Maloney has been my partner for for going on 19 years now. And um, I would just, via osmosis, uh, some of the, uh, uh, you know, great broadcasters that I would spend a lot of time near and, and the producers, and I would just soak it all in and, and listen and observe how everything works and learn about the preparation. So it was so much fun. I, I have, you know, hundreds of memories of, of attending Rangers games and Knicks games at the Garden. Uh, during those years. And then I think I told you the story earlier, Tom, on, on a, a prior interview, but was really lucky in high school when a small cable station, Cots Cable of Great Neck, came to my school to film a girls' basketball game. And they had two cameras, a little production van, no announcers. And I volunteered. I was there covering the game for the school paper. And I announced the game. They clipped a mic onto my shirt. And then over the next three years, I, I spoke with the producer after the game, and he gave me this unbelievable opportunity in high school to call games all over Long Island, basketball, football, hockey, baseball, soccer, lacrosse. And back then, kids my age never really had the opportunity until college. Now they start a lot earlier, great programs in high school and even in middle school. But I felt like I had a three-year head start on anybody else my age who wanted to do it and uh, got some great experience calling the games for Cox Cable and uh, moved on to NYU and did basketball there on the radio and also by going to school in the New York area uh, still would would go to games at the garden would help out handling statistics for the radio broadcast and I also met some great people wound up with an opportunity to fill in on some Islanders radio pre and post game shows and then actually do some games my senior year in college my first NHL game was Islanders in Winnipeg 1989 
And I was able to use that tape. You know, most people try and get a minor league job and then use those tapes to get an NHL job. I had a couple of NHL tapes, and that's what I used to send around and, and was hired by the team in Baltimore in, in June of 1990. Good story. So with your father and uncle uh, being as successful as they were, what I've learned, you want to learn from other people that are very good at the job, but you still have to be yourself, right? Is that how you looked at it, that you were going to be Kenny Albert, not Marv Albert or Steve Albert? You know, I thought the great, uh, one of the great things about getting the job in Baltimore, I was able to sort of establish my own identity, right? You learn from everybody. You learn from my father and my uncles and so many other broadcasters that I would listen to as a kid, including Sam Rosen, who started with the Rangers in the, in the mid-80s, and Jim Gordon and Bill Chadwick on Ranger broadcast before that. Jiggs McDonald on the Islanders, Howie Rhodes, Mike Emmerich on the Devils, Gary Thorne. Um, so I would listen to everybody, radio, TV, and you take a little piece from each and every one of them. But those two years in Baltimore, I wouldn't trade it in for anything. It was eight-hour, 10-hour bus rides, not a lot of sleep. But I learned so much uh, by getting those reps and doing 80 games a year for two years at the minor league level in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Utica, Binghamton, Portland, Maine. Up in the Maritime Provinces, we'd go up there, play uh, six or eight games against teams in Halifax and Sydney, Nova Scotia and Fredericton and Moncton, New Brunswick. And, you know, I was the same age as a lot of the players, so we all had the same goal, which was to get to the next level. And, and I learned so much about what goes into running a sports organization. I would also have to help out with some of the PR and marketing and sales and, you know, go pick up this player at the airport, drive this player to an event. So... It, it was two years, but I, I have so many great memories, um, and it really, like I said, helped me establish my own identity in a, in a different market. Uh, is there, uh, I, I, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. So of all the athletes that you've interviewed, is there, is there a favorite athlete that you maybe you admired besides Tom Laidlaw, obviously? I was gone by that. The two that I always mention as far as they were just such down-to-earth, nice, regular people, Wayne Gretzky and Brett Favre. And Tom, I know you played with Wayne and I got to know him a little bit during the three years he spent with the Rangers and a lot better over the last two years now that we're colleagues at TNT. And he's been in the booth with us for a couple of games uh, during the conference final last year and the Stanley Cup final this year, uh, the studio show travel. So I spent a lot of time around Wayne and Paul Bissonnette and Anson Carter and Liam McHugh and Rick Tockett and Henrik Lundqvist. They were part of our traveling circus. So had a number of meals with Wayne and his wife, Janet, and, and the whole group. And uh, just as I'm sure you have so many stories about him from the L.A. days, he might be a nicer person than he was a player. And that, yeah. that's really hard, hard to believe. But, you know, I would witness him just setting up meals and, and setting up golf outings for people and, and just how nice he is to the general public. Pictures, autographs, never turns anybody down. Uh, Brett Favre, uh, we had, we had production meetings before the football broadcast and we, we meet with players and coaches and he, he never gave me the impression that he didn't want to be there, that he had to go somewhere else, go to a meeting, go home. He would sit there for 45 minutes, tell stories about hunting and fishing and his family and just a down to earth, regular guy. Uh, you know, whether it's Peyton Manning, uh, Eli Manning, Tom Brady, I I've had meetings with all these guys for broadcasts and all just very nice, professional, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I throw into that mix. Um, they were so used to it. They would do it every week prior to the broadcast, so it became part of their routine. Um, but hockey players in general, I mean, I think back to my early days with the Rangers, 
guys like Brian Leach and Adam Graves and Mark Messier. Um, I was telling somebody the story yesterday. They asked me about Messier and the leadership. My first year with the Rangers was 95-96, and we had a road trip in December to Western Canada. And the team played in Vancouver. And then on the off day, we were flying to Edmonton. And there were five or six guys on the team who had played for the Oilers. Messier, Kevin Lowe, uh, Craig McTavish, Jeff Bookaboom, Adam Graves, maybe one or two others. And they all had friends and family in Edmonton. They had dinner plans set up on the off day once we landed. So there was a mechanical issue with the flight. And it was going to be about a four-hour delay. And uh, the Rangers uh, travel director knew that these guys had plans at Edmonton, set up commercial flights for the five or six of them to go ahead of the team uh, before the charter would be ready to go. And and Mark Messier stood up at the front of the plane and said, nope, we go as a team. Ooh, nice. Or none of us. And they waited. And uh, it took about three or four hours for the plane to be fixed. And everybody went together. And that was one example of, of, of his leadership. Um, you know, that, that, that run to the conference final in 97, uh, with, with, with Wayne and Mark, uh, that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, you fast forward to the Henrik Lundqvist era. What, again, one of the nicest individuals you'll ever meet. And, um, I think back to all the time we spent with Roger Bear, who was Mr. Ranger and Mr. New York and Henrik sort of taken over that mantle as far as some of his charity endeavors and still lives in New York as it moved back to Sweden, goes back in the summer for a month or two, but. Uh, he's become a native New Yorker. So just just great people, you know, as good as they were on the ice, even even nicer and, and better people off the ice. That's, you know, you're proud to be in the hockey world, right? Because that's kind of the code for right, everybody in the business, not just the players, the trainers, the coaches. It's the same thing. It's, uh, it's the way you carry yourself. You're representing yourself, the team, the sport. But talking about Wayne, uh, one of the things that impressed me the most about him was how aware he was of how he affected other people, the game, uh, his place in the game. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, okay, so uh, 
One of the things I always give you a hard time about uh, when I see you in public or privately is, is there any sport that you cannot do? Like you've done everything, right? So I'm very fortunate, uh, Tom, hockey for 33 years, football, this is year 30, uh, basketball and baseball for a long time. And I, I've done some other sports, boxing uh, here and there. And I, I was asked to do track and field and volleyball at various Olympics. And I didn't know a lot about those sports. I went out and I bought track and field for dummies. That's an actual sport. <laughs> I sat down with our local volleyball coach at the high school for an hour and a half. And I said to her, Fill me in on the rules, the strategy, the history, everything. And it was great. I knew so much more after that session uh, than I did going into it. The one sport that, I, that I've done once that I was asked to do uh, during my time working in Washington with home team sports, uh, working the Capitals games, but they also had the contract to the ACC conference. So they would do a lot of basketball and, and, and volleyball and soccer and lacrosse. And I was once asked, I was about 25 years old, and I was asked to do college wrestling. And it was the ACC tournament down in North Carolina. And I studied. I spoke to some Olympic wrestlers. If you remember Jeff Blatnick, somebody connected yeah. me with him. We'll see him on the phone. Uh, watched some prior events on video. And uh, once we sat down and started the telecast, I felt like I had no idea what I was watching. It, <laughs> it didn't, didn't click. Didn't resonate with me. Luckily, I had a great color analyst who had been a wrestler at one of the schools, I think the University of North Carolina. And I looked at myself as the traffic cop. I would introduce the two wrestlers in a particular match. Okay, here's a uh, 19-year-old uh, Tom Laidlaw. He's a junior from uh, Westchester, New York, record of 19-0. And I'd introduce the opponent, and then I'd just get out of the way and let let my partner handle it because I uh, really felt so clueless and had no idea. So that was the one sport that I actually did work once. I also uh, once did the public address announcing at a dog show in Baltimore. I was working, I was working in Baltimore. Uh, there were cue cards, so I didn't have to know too much about it. I was kind of fed the information. I once did the, I was a guest public address announcer at a robotics competition. Oh, wow. <laughs> Same thing. I was passed along cards to read. So, um, you know, that, that wasn't too bad. But the college wrestling was the one that, that I really felt clueless. Do you, do you do a lot of uh, VO work or, do, or much VO work? Uh, once in a while. I've done some voiceover work through the years. I've been asked to narrate various pieces for uh, some different shows or events. So not frequently, but but once in a while. See, Tom had to be showing off that VO work. Like, you had to use the code word there. Like, you know, I did. You know, once in a while, they also use, they'll take a, a, a part of an actual telecast and maybe use it in a TV show or a movie. There was an episode of Friends uh, believe it or not, back in the late 90s, it was a Thanksgiving episode, and Brad Pitt was one of the guest stars. My wife and kids tell me when they see it on reruns, but they actually could hear my voice for about five seconds oh. from a Green Bay-Detroit football game from the previous season, a Sunday game that I worked, and those teams were playing on Thanksgiving the following year, and this show, the Friends episode, was that week, so they actually took the play-by-play -play from that uh, episode and used it on the show. Oh, nice. Look cool. at the residual checks from that one or no? And nothing came through from that one. Um, there must have been permission given from Fox, I guess. But I do get uh, residual checks for like $18, $22 once in a while. Occasionally, one cent. And I don't, I don't deposit them. I keep them. I keep them somewhere. I, I, I had a, a role in two movies, both basketball-related, ironically, uh, many, many years ago. One was called Game Day. It, it never 
came out in the theaters and went right to video. Uh, Richard Lewis, the actor, oh, right. actually a friend of mine, he's been on Curb Your Enthusiasm for many years, but he was uh, a basketball coach in this movie, and I was I played the role of a of a play by play announcer. So uh, then there was another one you guys might be familiar with, Joanna Mann, which oh, came out in the theaters, and it was a basketball related movie. And uh, I had a, a quick 30-second uh, part at the beginning as a play-by-play broadcaster. But I do get some residual checks, like I said, when whenever it's on cable TV or uh, comes out elsewhere on some other medium. But once in a while, those those checks are, believe it or not, for one cent. Sometimes they're for 12 bucks, 15 20 uh, I guess uh, for a couple of lunches along the way. There you go. So you've got nothing else going on. You're got you're lots of time on your hands. I'm being sarcastic when I say this. Uh, so now you've got a book coming out that you wrote yourself. Wow, very cool. I did, and, and the summer's a lot quieter. You know, from September through May, it's absolutely crazy. You know, sometimes three, four, five flights a week, games in four different sports. But I never feel like I'm going to work. I'm, I'm real fortunate. There's a lot of travel and a lot of work involved, but I never feel like I'm actually working. Uh, the summer's been great. A lot of time at home and, and with the family and a couple of weddings to attend. Went to the Football Hall of Fame for the first time this past weekend. Never been to Canton. Former partner of mine on the on TV, Rondé Barber, was inducted. So that was really exciting to uh, be there for that and, and help celebrate with his friends and family. Um, the book is coming out in October. Couldn't be, couldn't be any more excited. Um, I, I feel like I always have a lot of stories when I do interviews and, and speak to high school and college students about um, a lot of the stuff we've talked about, early life, childhood, growing up, getting into broadcasting, the early years in Baltimore, and, and now calling the NFL and NHL for three decades and the other sports as well, and, and eight Olympics, and a lot of travel stories, stories about my 200-plus analysts I've worked with, uh, stories about the COVID era and how we did broadcast during that time, advice to high school and college students, so it's all... Uh, it's a compilation of all of those subjects in the book and, and some stories that hopefully people enjoy. Um, official publication date is October 10th. It's called a Mike for all seasons, M I C and the I is a microphone. In oh, nice. Um, forwarded. Yeah. Who did your forward? Forwards are written by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier, which was unbelievable for them yeah. to, uh, be long enough to participate. Uh, I've worked with both of them on the broadcast side, and I did it myself. I, I, I talked to a couple of writers, thought about using a ghostwriter. I did a lot of writing back in the day in high school and college. I enjoy it. Don't mind it. And the bottom line was I, I kind of wanted it to be in my voice, my stories. Sure. Instead of telling someone else the stories and having them write it and put it together, it just felt uh, really good to, to do it myself. It was a long process, never knew anything about the book or publishing business. So I learned along the way at great editors. Um, you know, I thought about it for a long time. And then during the pandemic, uh, my family, my wife and daughters who are now 23 and 20, so this was three years ago, they really pushed me. Uh, they knew about all these stories that I have and um, had a lot of time in my hands. I was home for 146 straight days, but who's counting? Wow. Uh, March, 2020, until I traveled to the Edmonton bubble for the playoffs that August. So I put together an outline and sample chapters, and I had been contacted by a book agent, Andrew Blounder, many years ago, who's a big sports fan, sent me an email, said, if you're ever thinking about doing a book, let me know. So he wound up 
uh, connected me with a publisher, Triumph Books, out of Chicago. They published primarily sports books. And uh, they took on the project. And probably over the last two years, it was due last September. But since then, it's gone through the editing process. And now it's actually getting printed. It's in publication. But um, in 2021 and 22, spent a lot of time on airplanes and hotel rooms. And then last summer at home, uh, reading through it multiple times. My family was a, a great help. And uh, they wanted 70,000 words. And I remember when I was stuck at about 30,000, I thought to myself, how am I ever going to do this? But the stories just kept flowing and uh, got it done, turned it in last September. We've gone through the editing process. And uh, like I said, publication date, October 10th. We have a couple of events lined up. Uh, bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey. They do a lot of these events with authors. We'll have it at, uh, a book signing and Q&A there on Monday, October 9th. And we'll have an event at the NHL store, not too far from Madison Square Garden at Hudson Yards, Manhattan West. Uh, it's probably sometime in November. So uh, looking forward to that as well. So can't wait. Uh, I'll make sure to get you guys a copy and hopefully any of the listeners and viewers. It's available now, actually, for pre-order. There's a uh, a mic for all seasons. You can find it on, uh, you can Google uh, the, the title of the book, but I know it's available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Triumph Books website as well. Very cool. That's excellent. So the big question though is what chapter, what number chapter is about me? Huh? Well, it, it, it would have to be number two, right? You're there you go. Yeah, steady. Yeah. A lot, a lot about watching the Rangers back in your era. Uh, you know, you know how close we both are with Dave Maloney and yeah. Uh, a number of stories and anecdotes. The first season we worked together, 05-06, I think this made it into the book. Um, the Rangers made the playoffs that year for the first time in eight seasons, and they played the Devils in game one. Uh, we were in a small booth at the old Meadowlands, Brendan Byrne Arena, because there were so many broadcast crews. We weren't in the usual spot. It was tight. And Dave was one of the first partners of mine that that did his notes on a computer. You know, I'm old school. I do a lot by hand. But uh, Dave was the first. He would do a lot of his rosters and information about the players, so he would have his laptop out. And this was back in 2005-06. And I always try to keep a cover on my drink in the booth while I'm doing the game because you don't want to accidentally spill it. I was going to ask you a question about this. I'm going to spill it on papers, right? Yeah. Whether it's water, Diet Coke, coffee, whatever. I'm not a coffee person. But I always try to keep a cover on it or a cap. Dave had a water bottle. Uh unbeknownst to me, right near the computer and he had taken the cap off and I accidentally spilled his water onto his keyboard. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh, you know how, you know, Dave's competitiveness on the ice. Oh yeah. Five seconds. I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> we finished the broadcast and, you know, I was ready to buy him a new computer the next day. Fortunately, he called me the next day and everything was okay. There was no damage. So, yeah. um, but stories about, you know, Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti, uh, who I've traveled with now for so many years. We all sit together on the plane, on the team plane. And, um, you know, the Lundquist era, so many game sevens and memorable playoff games, the run to the Stanley Cup final in 2014. I write about uh, the national hockey that I've worked calling the Stanley Cup final on TV two of the last three years now, 2021 on NBC and 2023 on TNT. So, uh, there's this there's a chapter on each sport. So there's a hockey chapter on the baseball, basketball. There's a chapter on Madison Square Garden and growing up, going to events, and then 
eventually calling games now for the Rangers for 28 years and uh, work about 15 Knicks games for the last 12 or 13 years. So uh, hopefully you'll enjoy some of the stories that are in there. Very cool. So I go back to Dave Maloney too. He's a total gentleman. I respect him a ton. He's a professional. We're good friends. But Dave's got himself a little bit of a temper, right? So we, remember when we did the uh, uh, Ice Hockey at Harlem dinner together and there was a, a group that had golf with Dave and they're sitting at the table and I was trying to stir the pot and I said, do most times. I said to him, I said, okay, guys, did you sign a waiver to play golf with Dave Maloney? Like, did he snap? And they're, oh, no, no. They're like, he was sitting at the table. Oh, no, no, he was fine. He was fine. Dave had to leave early and we were still, you and I were still up talking. And uh, so I went back to the table. I can't, I said, now tell me the truth. Did he snap? And they go, oh yeah. And it was, it was scary too. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I witnessed a couple of incidents on tennis courts. Oh. Uh, throughout our time working together during some road trips to Florida. Uh, some of us in the broadcast group and the production folks would, would play doubles tennis at the hotel. And we were once 10, 12 years ago in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Marriott Harbor beach, uh, where a lot of the teams used to stay and we played tennis and we borrowed rackets and they probably weren't the greatest quality, right? The rackets at the hotel. And, uh, Dave was frustrated after uh, a certain shot and, and smashed the racket and it was all twisted and bent out of shape. And, uh, to Dave's credit, he actually used that racket for the rest of the set, and his team won. They actually were the winning team, and he was a bit sheepish when he had to hand the racket back to the the folks in the hotel. But I, I've seen him, I've seen him smash and throw the tennis racket a couple of times. He was trying to keep himself. This is years ago, actually ten years ago. We we're at a charity golf tournament up at one of the casinos in Connecticut, and uh, I wasn't I don't golf, so I was just goofing around or something. That all of a sudden I see Dave walking really quietly, all by himself, and he's nice and calm. And he's walking. The tournament's still going on. It's like halfway through. I, and I knew something had happened. Like he'd snap. He says, Tom, I'm going home now. That's it. I'm done. And it was funny because you could tell he was trying so hard to compose himself. And I'm thinking those poor people on 95, if he gets into the tra- traffic, he's going to snap. Because he was, and I don't want to paint the wrong picture about Dave. He's like, Kenny, you've worked with him so long. He's very professional and gentleman and everything. But he's the best. And the, the most amazing thing to me about Dave, he's had three separate distinct tremendous careers in yep. three different fields yep. he was an nhl player for 10 12 years captain of the rangers when you guys went to the cup final so over a decade as a pro athlete at a high level then he worked on wall street for about 20 years yeah. at uh, bear stearns and a couple of other companies and dabbled in some tv and radio during that time and now for uh, going on 19 years, a full-time career as a broadcaster with the Rangers on the radio TV side. So, you know, you won't find too many people that have three long, distinct, very successful careers, really in three totally different industries. Well, I should correct you though, Kenny. I think it's actually four. He also worked at the liquor store here in Greenwich, Connecticut. So, Kenny, still, Dave's busy. Dave's been very successful, but he was just bored. Uh, during the pandemic, so he went in and helped out his. Uh, no, it's awesome. wasn't about money. I think he just wanted something to do. He helped out his. Yeah, money. Just wanted, just wanted to keep busy, and he's a people person. You know, he yeah. wanted to be around people during the pandemic. He also reads. I mean, he knows more about U.S. history than the three of us combined. Oh, he he's wow. such a vociferous reader. Uh, for on the road, he's always got a 500 page novel with him. So, uh, uh, you know, you can add that to his resume as well. Right. I'm going to put you on the spot again here. Is there? Can you say there's one person that influenced you most in your career? I mean, as far as my broadcasting career, you know, obviously I'd have to say my father as far as the early years, just learning. Um, 
both via osmosis and by watching him. The preparation was was the number one thing that I learned. He was always preparing for the next event. And I would see that at home, in hotels, when I would go on road trips. If you remember, Tom, when you were playing, you know, he was he was doing the 6 and 11 o'clock sports on the news, uh, Channel 4. Okay. Um, and was also doing the games in between. So he, he would be at the WNBC studio and then go to the garden and then go back to do the 11 o'clock sports. So, you know, I learned from him the work ethic, the preparation, uh, et cetera. But aside from that, you know, having been in the business for so long now, I've learned from so many people, broadcast partners, producers, executives at the various networks. So it's probably hard to pinpoint one person, but you learn from just about everybody you're around. Ted, let me ask this, because we've had a couple of, of players on who've had famous fathers, Mark Howe, um, Eric Nystermont. How was it your dad with you regarding your craft? Did he give you a lot of advice? Was he hands-off? How, how, did, he, how did he help you with that? Well, first of all, it's funny you mentioned Eric Nystrom. Among the first games I did for the Islanders, I mentioned back in 89, 90, 91, uh, Bob Nystrom was my color analyst. He was doing the radio for the Islanders. I worked eight or 10 games with Bobby. Great guy. And I remember Eric was like six or seven years old sitting behind us in the broadcast booth and went on to have a, a, a long career in the NHL as well. Um, but as far as the question, he was totally hands off. I mean, he knew I was very interested and I would announce the games in the tape recorder, et cetera. And then I did stats for him at Rangers, Knicks, NFL games. So I was absorbing. I was learning the craft. But I was probably pretty quiet about it. I didn't really express verbally necessarily that this is what I wanted to do for a living. I'm sure he knew just by watching me and observing. And then in high school and college, I, I did the broadcasts as we talked about earlier. But it was more uh, what I learned by watching him and observing. Uh, it's not like we sat down and had these lessons uh, or long talks about the fundamentals. I, I think I probably learned more by watching and observing. Uh, but when I did start professionally, he would listen to the tapes during the minor league days and then my early days. And even now, you know, he'll watch a game that I do and might call up with a suggestion. Uh, we just had a conversation last week where there was just a minor thing. And, you know, I've, I've worked probably over 3,000 games now professionally <laughs> in the years. But um, he's retired. He's doing the same four things he's always done, even when he worked, but doing a lot more of it. A lot of reading watching TV shows, watching movies, and watching sporting events. He doesn't miss much. Huh. He watches everything and uh, 82 years old, but still still calls with some helpful hints once in a while. No, that's pretty cool. So you had the incident where you spilled the water on Dave Olney's uh, uh, computer. Is there another incident or incidents that happened over time where you said the wrong thing or did something that you look back at, oh, yeah, I can't believe I did that? Well, one story that I tell in the book, and it involves Barry Trotz, I was taping an interview with him for our pregame show. And he actually said something that came out funny. He flubbed a couple of words. I don't remember exactly what it was. And it was on tape, so I wasn't going to use it on the air. We redid it. But the mistake I made was I went and played it after the game for a couple of the players. So I got back to him that I had played whatever it was that he said for these guys. And he said, I'm going to get you back. Don't worry. And, you know, playfully, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, four months later, we're flying to Sydney, Nova Scotia for a road trip. And we had been flying all day, Baltimore to Boston, Boston to Halifax, Halifax to Sydney. And they told us that our personal luggage probably wouldn't make it. These were small regional jets, all the hockey bags and the sticks. They were the priority. So we got off the plane. 
about four o'clock in the afternoon, we'd go down the steps on the tarmac, small airport in Sydney. And this gentleman at the bottom of the steps uh, with a clipboard, and he says, is this you? He has points to my name. And he says, come with me. I thought he wanted me to identify the luggage, the missing luggage, et cetera. Starts asking me questions. Uh, have you ever been arrested? Is your passport? Do you know anybody that's in trouble? Do you have anything illegal in your luggage? Then they bring me to a car, an official. Uh, I know I wasn't being kidnapped. It was, it was a, a police car with computer equipment in front. And these two gentlemen start driving me around and they continue to question me. Finally, they drop me off at the team hotel. They, they fill me in that it was a practical joke. Watson <laughs> set it up. Uh get me back. So um as far as other incidents on the air, Rangers Kings at the forum back in the late nineties, calling the game on the radio with Sal Red Light Messina, and I started to get the hiccups during the game. And something you really can't control, right? Yeah. When, when it starts to come come on. Luckily there's something called the cough button that you can hit when you turn off your mic, but with the hiccups, it's tough. You know, you kind of have to Go hit the button as you as you feel it come on. So, um, did a twenty inning baseball game, six and a half hours. Mets in St. Louis, two thousand ten. Never went to the bathroom. Never left. Wow. Held me in for six and a half hours. Didn't really have to go, but you also never think the game will go that long, right? You think you'll have an opportunity. You think the game will end. Could have gone. Bathroom was nearby. It was only a two minute break between innings for broadcasters, but uh, would have been able to to run there. Um, so those were a couple of incidents that I, I talk about in the book. What didn't make it into the book because it was past the deadline, uh, did the four overtime game in the playoffs this year, Florida, oh, Carolina, Kachuk scored Matthew Kachuk in the fourth overtime. Uh, that was a fun one. That would have been a fun one to include in the book. Uh, I kept giving the nuggets, uh, that were passed along to me. All right, now it's the 10th longest game in NHL history. Now it's the eighth longest. It's become the sixth longest. Eddie Olchek was about to kill me. He wanted the game to end. He was, you know, it's 1.54 in the morning by the time the game ended. The next day we all woke up. We felt like we were, you know, that we played in the game. Right. Uh, but such a memorable game to be a part of. So, Kenny, what's, what's uh, on the flip side, what's like your favorite, what's your favorite call of your career? You have one? So there's not one that stands out above the others because I have to go by each sport in hockey. I was fortunate enough to call the 94 Stanley cup final on NHL radio, the national radio broadcast. So calling the Rangers winning the cup in 94 is, is right at the top of the list. Um, I've worked hockey at six winter Olympics. So I've done a bunch of gold medal games on the men's and women's side. Uh, the one that stands out is the women's gold medal game in, in Pyeongchang in 2018, when the U S beat Canada in a shootout, uh, calling the cup final, uh, both this year and two years ago on the TV side, baseball. The one that I get asked about the most is the Jose Bautista home run and bat flip for the blue Jays in the playoffs. Oh, I remember, yeah. Well, yeah. I was, I was on the call for that one yeah. in football. There have been so many memorable moments, games, uh, the giants jets game in 2011, Eli Manning to Victor Cruz, 99 yard touchdown. I had the call for that one. I had the crazy ending this year, Las Vegas, New England. Uh, if you guys recall, with the laterals yeah. at the end of the game, yeah. and then it's intercepted by Chandler, mm-hmm. Las Vegas, and he takes it in for a touchdown. So in the book, I go over a lot of these favorite games, favorite moments, but uh, though those are just those are just uh, several. He's all Kenny Moose and Goose. I loved you guys together. Yeah, that was the best. Uh, we unfortunately lost Tony Saragusa last year, and oh, I didn't know. Yeah, and Tony passed away in June of 22, but 
uh, worked eight years with with Moose and Goose, Daryl Johnston and Tony Saragusa. And when I think back to the 29 years, great years at Fox, but those eight really stand out. Just the fun we had, great games to call, but also off the field, out of the booth. And, and I talk about this in the book. There are, There's a list of six to eight things that we did as a group uh, on a Saturday morning in, in various cities when we had some free time. Goose could never sit still. He always had to be on the move, doing something, taking part in uh, some activity. So whether it was uh, going on a swab tour in, in Louisiana, petting baby alligators, uh, being driven in a race car 130, 140 miles, three laps around the track, which I did in the passenger seat in Charlotte. Uh, the only time I've ever held a, a gun and, and sh- shot a gun at targets in Dallas, um, getting soaked in Niagara Falls on the, on the, uh, bought there. Old tour. Um, all that was with Moose and Goose because Goose cool. uh, just wanted to have fun and live life to its fullest. And there are probably three or four other things, uh, that, that we did as well. But, uh, we, Goose and I once, with a camera crew at SeaWorld in San Diego, we sat right up against Shamu. Uh, he's Shamu's uh, from head to toe. So, great uh, years, great games, great memories off the field as well. Uh, good guys. All right, the uh, the book one more time. Uh, Mike for all seasons is the title Mike, of the book. Mike M I C for all seasons. Uh, Triumph Books is the publisher. If you Google it, easy to find. Uh, I'm also easy to find on Twitter, Instagram. So I put out a photo of the cover. Uh, on the bottom, forwards by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier. Uh, coming out October 10th, available for pre-order. I think it's $28, so uh, hopefully it's hopefully it's worth uh, you know worth the price of admission once you read it. Right, you might have to look a little hard for my chapter, but uh, it's in there someplace. It's a small one. When you look at number two, I was thinking of you. I wrote chapter two. All right, great job. Katie, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I really do meant what we said at the start of the show. Tom and I talked about a lot. Uh, you and Sam Rosen are t- totally in the same category, both as professionals uh, and as people, too. So again, thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. Sam's one of the best of all time, all a favor. I've enjoyed his friendship and traveling through the years with the Rangers. Uh, you guys are great. Uh, Tom, really enjoyed, obviously, watching you play and spending a lot of time together. Uh, in recent years at various events, whether it's Hockey yeah. Harlem or Rangers, MSG events, golf tournaments, Madison Square Garden. So uh, actually one, one of the one of my favorite things during the pandemic was tuning in every week to the Facebook Live when <laughs> we do it on Dave and Ron Duguay and, you know, various other teammates and Ron Brushner and all the joking around with Larry Melnick. It, it kept a lot of us uh, pain and busy during the pandemic knowing that we can uh, at least spend an hour or an hour and a half every week listening to you guys tell stories. Yeah, good. Again, Kenny came out of this too, and Kenny comes out first and says, "Long time, first time." <laughs> and uh, I wanted to take it. And I didn't. I just didn't expect it. You know, it was like it was pretty funny too. It was good. Now we had a really good time. That helped us too. We had a lot. We had a lot of laughs. So, a lot of good stuff. Hey, Kenny, where's where's the chair that you wanted? Were you able to get it home? I did. Uh, so I I bid. Uh, I was the winning bidder on a, on a hockey stick chair from oh. a hockey all event last week. Those are cool. Uh, you know, wasn't sure if my wife would be thrilled about it, you know, being prominently displayed in the living room or dining room. <laughs> um, although she once bought me a, a hockey stick trunk, which I have here in the home office. But okay. we found a great spot for it in the basement. I have some other 
hockey and Rangers and sports memorabilia down in the basement. So we found a good spot for the chair. There you go. You're a good man. You're a great man, I see too. Thank you very much for coming on the show again. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Well, as advertised, Tom, Kenny Albert, great guy, good dude, good stories. NYU guy, of course, so obviously superior. Here we go. Yeah, he and he and Sam are the same way. Sam Rose, right? You asked him a question, and we were just joking around. It's almost like he feels stop talking. She just go on forever. They're pros. They, they're yeah. they're paid to talk. Yeah, and to engage. So smooth to yeah. tell the stories. And what? And we I, we talk about a lot of the show, and I don't. Oh, oh, he and Sam are so much very professional gentlemen. Good people. You, like you mentioned, you walk up to them at the arena, at the garden, you know, they'll say hello. They'll, they'll take a picture. They're just very kind people. And you, you forget that he's done so many things, baseball, football, yeah. basketball, you know, college wrestling. And good at all of them too. That's yeah. the thing. Like, how do you remember all the names, the, the rules? He, he gets into it at the show talking about how you know, he yeah. studies so much. But uh, you know, what's amazing too, Tom, is that we've had these guys on, and I mentioned on the show how we had Mark Howell and Eric Nyser, but with these famous fathers who yeah. were hands off, yeah. that maybe that's the formula because Kenny I, said his dad was the same thing, you know, same, true. same way. Yeah, because I think, uh, and Kenny will talk about it again on the show, it was his passion, his dream, you know, like he didn't have to be pushed in. And I think, yeah, I mean, yeah to me, that's great parenting. I was very fortunate with that too with my parents. They're, they're busy farming. If I wanted to play in the National Hockey League, that was going to be my do it. And if we go back way back to one of our earlier episodes where we had Jim Kite, he said, you can't be snowplow parents. You yeah. have to just let the kids, you know, shovel the snow, get walk through the, the, the tough. Time, yeah, so. totally. No, that was cool when he said that, right? Like, you know, they mean snowplow parents, like they're pushing all the bad things out of the way. Right. And that's, you learn the most from the bad things. Absolutely. It's, it's easy to go through good times, but going through bad times and learning from that. The, so yeah, Port Bird. So that was a great show. His book's coming out and people can look for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a mic, a mic for all seasons. A mic for all seasons. So M-I-C, the, the I is the uh, microphone. Very cool. And I like the fact that he did it himself too, right? Yeah, like, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I think, right, like we're getting my book done and, uh, yeah, I, I guess he's got that creativity, right? We're sure. getting ready himself. No, he just he just wrote a story, and he, you know his story. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully people will enjoy that. Maybe I don't need you. No, you probably don't. Good luck. Yeah, good luck on that. It's <laughs> uh, like a short book, really, like a great show. Polls versus security. Show everybody. Make it magically. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>